Hi guys, we're running into a new episode of Culloden Home Bible Study. Um, we're looking at the School of Christ, uh, study number two, the SOP, a lesson on hatred and love. Really this whole study is about the upper room discourse of the Lord Jesus from John chapter 13 to chapter 17. Now, um, I mentioned last time, but the upper room um, discourse in a sense is only in the upper room probably for chapter 13 and 14. Um, You'll see that as we go through. At the end of chapter 14, it seems that they leave the upper room and head towards the garden. They reach the garden um, in chapter number 18, um, the Garden of Gethsemane, where the Lord Jesus is going to pray um, to his Father and his God. Okay, so <clears throat> that's the little section of the Word of God that we're focusing on um, today. Now, I want to say one or two things just just introductory at this time um, as I mentioned last time um, there are handouts for this material um, if you want the written material and you don't have any access to the handouts some of the podcast um, networks do have them uh, but if you want them anyway uh, if you email me at and Williamson and Williamson 01 at yahoo.co.uk um, I can easily send on uh, the relevant material for the 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 hand for the studies that you're looking for give you a link to them or whatever is necessary uh, okay so in pdf form obviously but that's that's an easy enough thing for me to do so if you need the handouts and you don't have them and you're listening into the studies uh, wherever you are um please contact me let me know and i'll i'll get you the the, the handouts that will help you to understand Perhaps the material a little bit better because basically what I do in the, the podcast is go through the handouts in a little bit more detail and maybe lift a few of the main points that we have in our actual study, which took place in this case yesterday, uh, last evening. It was a lovely study together. Um, we had a number of different ones together for studying this passage and there were great contributions all around. So um, I trust as we look at this study, we might be blessed even as we listen in um, and think about uh, what happened in that upper room and the teaching that the Lord gave. So as I say, uh, study number two, the SOB, a lesson on hatred and love. He's already given a lesson on humility and holiness, the basin. You'll remember that uh, lesson uh, in the, from the first podcast. Um, really, this section started by this whole section of the Word of God starts by the Lord Jesus as the teacher and uh, knowing he's leaving his followers in the world knowing he he loves them to the end knowing that his own greatness and pathway um, is unchanged and he is going through death to glory he then gives them this lesson of the basin the lesson of humility and yet washing so the thought of holiness okay so he bends down to wash the dirty feet of his own disciples um, he speaks to them, he speaks, but by action he speaks to them about humility, humble serving, and by word he speaks about holiness. So in a sense it's a, a true uh, bathed all over holiness that we have by re regeneration. In Titus 3 it tells us that the washing of regeneration, this bath of regeneration is ours the moment we trust the Lord Jesus um, but we need a constant feet washing um, 
of 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 using and applying the word to our walk, to our life, um, to wash our feet, to make us um able to walk in a world in a for the glory of God and make us able to um really fellowship with the Lord in it all. He says to Peter, If I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part with me. Now what does the Lord mean by that? I think he's saying because um the necessary cleansing of your feet the cleansing of your feet is necessary so that you might enjoy a daily communion with me. The old the old preachers used to say that that the link of communion is very slender and tender. The link of union is eternal. No one can stop you from being in Christ. Once you've trusted Christ, you're in Christ forever. Uh, if you've truly trusted him, if you've received of his spirit. But the link of communion, the link of fellowship and enjoyment of eternal things is another thing. We must apply the word to our lives in a daily, on a daily basis to really enjoy what the Lord has for us. So that was the first lesson. A lesson on uh, humility and, and, and holiness. Now we're going to have the lesson of the sop. A lesson of hatred and love. What about this hatred? Well, we've already come across it a little bit in the early verses when it tells us about Judas. That Judas, that Satan had already put it into the heart of Judas to betray him. But now he's going to take it a step further. And the Lord's going to bring this whole thing to a head. Because some of the teaching later on in this section, Judas is not really part of. He must be excluded. So the Lord brings his, his betrayal to a head and forces him to make his final choice. And he makes that choice. He accepts the sop, as we'll think of what that means, but he refuses the meaning behind the sop. And he goes out and the Bible says it is it was night. So then the Lord turns from the gloom of the darkness all around to the glory of the cross and what it means for the Son of Man to be glorified and God to be glorified with him and, and there to be an immediate glorification of the Lord because of it. All these beautiful thoughts that come out at the end of this section. And then he finishes the section by speaking about love. Love is the great way we can express that we're linked to the Lord Jesus. Love for one another. A special kind of love as we'll see. And so that's where the, the passage is really going. But before we read the scriptures um, and read this section and start to think about it um, in a little bit more detail, we're just going to pray and ask God's help. Father, we pray that you would draw near to us now. Help us to understand your word. Be blessed by it. Help us to fellowship with um, your yourself and your son as we would think together of your word. In the Lord's name, amen. Okay, so let's look at this section in a bit more detail you'll see at the end at the bottom of page number one the darkness of betrayal and hate is the first big section verse 18 and to 30 then uh, verse 31 to 38 the light of glory and love so darkness and light hatred and love these are the two big sections and the lessons that fall out of them so let's read the section together um and a trust we'll know god's blessing and presence as we do so reading from the king james version firstly the darkness of betrayal and hate i do not speak concerning all of you i know whom i have chosen 
But that the scripture may be fulfilled, he who eats bread with me, or more accurately, the SV will say, he who eats my bread, I think that's a more accurate rendering, has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly I say to you, he who receives whomsoever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask uh, who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back in Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, Buy those things we have need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. So, the last little section, the light of glory and love. So, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in, in him, God will glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little longer. You will seek me. And as I say to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, to love one another, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, well, all will know that you're my disciple, if you have loved one to another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why cannot I follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, The rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Well, one of the things about the upper room is this interplay between a number of different disciples and the Lord. Uh, we'll see three that are brought to focus in this um, section. We have, of course, Judas. We have John and we have Peter. Judas, John and Peter. And, and each of them brings lessons to us with how the Lord deals with them each uh, and, and how they, um, in a sense, have reacted or do react to the teaching that they are given. But particularly the focus in the first section is on this relationship between Judas and the Lord Jesus. You see at the the end of the last section, um, it really finishes uh, with with words from the Lord Jesus when he says in verse number 17, um, if you know these things, speaking about the food washing and following his example and so on, if you know these things, uh, blessed are you if you do them and um, so the Lord saying now you will be blessed you will have a, a rich a spiritual richness through through 
doing these things, through humbly serving, through washing each other's feet, through through um, understanding this lesson of holiness and, and foot washing, all these things, if you do them, you'll be blessed. And then he turns and he says, but I'm not speaking about you all. In other words, there's one among you who will not be blessed because he is not he has not even been bathed all over, to use an expression further up the passage. He has not had the, the first washing. In fact, there is one among you um, because I know whom I have chosen. Now, a lot of people will, will put in this section at this point uh, the thought, I think, of, of foreknowledge. The Lord foreknew whom he chose. And that is a truth throughout Scripture that, that, that God um, knows and, and, and according to his knowledge and in line with his knowledge of, of persons, he, he chooses, he, he works in their lives, he calls them by grace uh, to himself and so on. All these, these big, true, massive uh, truths that are found throughout the New Testament, um, Ephesians 1 and, and Romans 8 and those kind of passages. But really that's not what's being spoken about here, I don't think. Um. You'll notice that the Lord Jesus on several occasions has spoken about his knowledge. Here's the teacher and he knows things. He knows in verse number one um, that he is going to depart the world to the Father. He knows in verse three that the Father's given all things into his hand and he's come from God and going to God. And it's in light of that he does and unfolds. But the next um, foot washing section, now he's telling us something else. He's telling us that he knows the very character, I take it, of the people that he has chosen to be apostles. Now, now, Judas was one of those chosen apostles from the disciples. Uh, and the Lord is saying, listen, I know exactly what he is. I know you all. I know whom I have chosen. It was not a mistake. It was not a mistake, but rather it was that the scripture might be fulfilled. That he who eats bread with me or... As I say, I think maybe the focus is he who eats of my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Now this comes from Psalm um, 41. Derek brought this out uh, nicely when we were discussing it in the home Bible study. Um, this, this, this all comes from the story of Ahithophel and David. David who had um, looked after, who'd, who'd, and Ahithophel had sat at his table and taken of David's food as it were his bread um, not only fellowship but the thought of of him being the host of of in that sense him being dependent on David and um, taking off his bread and yet Ahithophel did the most uh, evil uh, disloyal and awful thing he lifted up his heel and he dug that heel into David metaphorically speaking when he was taking of David's bread, what happened was that in the story, um, Absalom, David's son, rebelled against him. And, and Hithophel, he changed sides. The man who had been so um, helped by David and blessed David, uh, uh, was blessed by David, he actually switched sides. And David was really hurt by this. He said, my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, I depended on you. And yet he lifted up his heel against me. Now it never tells us that the Lord trusted in Judas. In fact, we're going to see the very opposite. He chose Judas to the apostleship, but he just takes this little bit of the scripture and says, 
This is a fulfillment of not just the David story, but of the Lord Jesus story, the son of David's story, the Messiah's story. That there will be one who betrays him. And really, the other story is just a little foreshadowing of this story. Just this little statement that he who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. So that's that's what's happening here. So God knew about it all along. The Lord knew about it all along. He knew the heart of Judas before he chose him to be an apostle. He was already arrogantly against God. He was already loving money. He was already, uh, it would tell us in an earlier chapter, um, the Lord speaks, I think it's in John chapter 6, and he says, there's one uh, among you that is a demon, or that has a demon. And and so so this was really known by the 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 Lord already and he yet he chose him into this position. Now you might say to yourself, what is really being spoken about here? I've said that this section, if you look at the bottom of the first page, and um, we're going to be what's going to be brought out in the first um four verses, as it were, from verse eighteen to twenty two, is the reality of a traitor in their midst. Uh, the reality of a traitor. Now as we think about that just for a few minutes, and um, you, you only need to imagine, imagine what's happening here. This is, you know, you can come up to someone and kick them full on in, 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 in the front, in their shin or something like that. Well, that's not what we're talking about here. We're, we're talking about that kind of sidekick. The, the, the betrayal that you would expect if, if uh, a, fa- a mother or a father betray- betrayed their son or daughter or a son or daughter betrayed their mother or father. Imagine a situation where that happened, say, in, under Nazi Germany. They were betrayed. That, that awful disloyalty, that's the kind of thing we're talk- talking about, only in an even deeper level. Um, and now the Lord will tell us, verse 19 and 20, uh, why he's unfolding it to them. Um, you can imagine what would happen if this betrayal had taken place and the Lord had never mentioned this to his own, to the apostles. So then he leaves it, as it were, to the night before. But he must bring it to their attention um, for two reasons, I think, at least. Number one, that they don't get shaken in their knowledge of him. In their appreciation of him. You know, you imagine if the Lord hadn't said anything. They would say, well, did he not know? Did he not understand that one of those that he had chosen was actually going to be a traitor? How did the Lord not know? And it might shake their faith in the Lord. And so he says in verse number 19, Now I tell you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. In other words, the positive you understand that I saw it all the time. It might actually, instead of being a negative thing in their faith, it might be a strengthening thing in their faith. So he is mitigating the damage and he's also showing that he knows all about it. And so that that they might believe that he is, that he's the I am, he's the son of God, he's the Messiah. Uh, The Lord is actually telling them that before it comes to pass, before this betrayal takes place. Then he says in verse 20, "Most, Most assuredly I say to you, he who receives whomsoever I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. Now what is he saying here? This seems to be out of the blue. We're discussing this in the study. I think what's being said is the other thing that would happen in a betrayal like this is that 
the people that have been chosen or sent as apostles, because they're apostles, sent ones, might say to themselves, what about me? What about my commission? Is it affected by the the sin of, of Judas? I mean, he was one of us. He's falling, he's, he falls from his office. He turns uh, away from the Lord and, and he no longer is in this position. Does that affect my standing, uh, the, the, the role I have? And, and the Lord says, no, no, no. Uh, the one that I have sent, whoever sent, um, whoever receives, whomsoever I send, when they come with the message of the gospel in the next um, era, as it were, uh, when, the, when the Lord goes back to glory, as he's speaking about here, when, when, the, when these apostles go out with the message, whoever receives them, and therefore the message, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. So in other words, the, the line of authority is unbroken. The line of, of communication and connection is unbroken through the apostles. So that uh, affirms it for us that the apostles are the ones who have been um, chosen by God to do this work so so their own authority is not diminished by the by the um setting aside of Judas okay so so you'll see what's happened here hate doesn't derail God the hatred that was shown by Judas is already predicted in the scripture it's already known by the Lord and it's not going to affect the Lord's purpose through the disciples or through the apostles and so I think that's what's been taught in this passage so far. Now, secondly, we have the the identity of the Trinity. Now, maybe we'll mention one other thing. Uh, verse 21. Jesus said these things. He was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now, even though that hate will not derail God, God is not harsh and the Lord is not harsh. And there was a deep, troubling in his spirit by the the crime the the audacious and awful crime of judas and so most assuredly i say to you one of you one of my closest ones will betray me he was troubled in spirit at the very root of his being then the disciples looked to one another perplexed about whom he spoke and so we have the reality of the traitor. What would be the identity of the traitor? Verse 23 to 26. Now, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. So this is, this is John. And, and the way they would have sat at, at meal was they would have uh, reclined on their left elbow. Um, and they would have eaten food with their right hand. Uh, and there would have been the dish in the centre. And, and the, you know, the host, as it were, would have taken the morsel and um, the piece of bread and dipped it in a dish and given it to the favoured guest. Um, John was, was, was sitting by nature of how they sat and the head would be near the chest of the person to your left. That makes sense if you think it out. Well, John would have been sitting on the right side of the Lord and, and what he was leaning back on Jesus bosom okay so so when we think of of leaning on jesus bosom we've got this man who is contentedly enjoying his lord and um, he's leaning in jesus bosom one of the disciples whom jesus loved simon peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke 
In other words, Simon, wherever or Peter, wherever he was um, among that group, he, he motioned to John, who was closest to the Lord, but who is it? Who is it that's been going to betray? And John, he leans back, he or falls back, can you and me, on Jesus' breast. So in the in the moment of crisis, as it were, he's there, he's close to the Lord, and he can fall back on the, the strength of the Lord's love. He's enjoying the solace of his love, and now he falls back in the strength of his love, we might say. And that's kind of metaphoric, and but it's a beautiful thought. And he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, uh, it is he to whom I shall give this bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now, I think this dialogue was just between John and the Lord. Um, you can check it with the other Gospels and see where that fits in and your, your understanding of, of what happens. But I think this particular statement is made by the Lord to John. You remember they would be very close together and the rest would have been perhaps at that point saying one to another, is it I, is it I, as we see in the other gospel? Uh, Lord, is it I? They, they would have been coming to the Lord, as it were. Um, am, am I the one who betrayed? And there's this thought of betrayal running around the, the, the table, as it were. And um, then then John doesn't say that. As he enjoys the Lord's love, he says, Lord, who is it? And Jesus says, it's the one to whom I give this piece of bread when I've dipped it. And he dipped it and he gives it to Judas Caesar. This is called the sop or the morsel. And, and the sop was symbolic of the honoured place for the guest at the table. In a sense, he was a guest. He was outside the realm of the rest of them. The rest of them were light and he was darkness. But there's something else in it. There's a thought of loyal friendship behind it as well. And so, um, as, as, as we think of that... Um, the identity of the traitor is brought to the fore. John doesn't seem to have really picked up on this. Perhaps he was looking the other way when the Lord did it. I don't know. But Judas would have understood. Judas was there. He would know exactly what was meant. You see, in the shop is also the thought of loyal friendship. Now, what he was going to do was the very opposite to loyal friendship. He was going to be disloyal, but the Lord is offering him, as it were, for the last time, loyal friendship. Friendship and relationship with the Lord. But while he takes the outward symbol in his hypocrisy, he refuses the meaning behind the symbol. So we have the identity of the traitor. Closeness um, to the Lord helps us to discern the Lord's mind. We can learn that lesson from it. Now, verse 27 to 30, um, just as we go down. Now, after that piece of bread, Satan entered him. Now, that's a very specific statement. Satan entered him. Uh, it's not that a demon entered him. Um, Satan is going to try to do this work himself. Now, he has opened the door for Satan. People don't, I don't take it, um, don't come into uh, the possession of Satan, etc., uh, or, or, or demons without in some way opening the door to it. Eve in the garden wasn't overwhelmed by temptation, for instance. It was a lower being that came to her. And therefore, there's a sense in which she had control of the situation. And I believe that is true. But he had opened the door with his idolatry and his love of money, as we've seen. Uh, we could see that in chapter 11 um, and 12. 
12 particularly, um, and, and earlier chapters, until eventually he's so consumed with greed and, and the love of money, as was brought out by um, um, someone um, yesterday, uh, really he is the epitome of the love of money being the root uh, of all evil. Yes, it was Beth that said that. She brought that point out. I thought it was very helpful. And so, uh, after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. In other words, bring it to completion. The Lord now is going to, as it were, thrust him away. He is going to, he is, when he has refused what the sop signified, the Lord says no more. Um, it's just go and get it done. Go and, and complete what you're already doing. No one at the table knew why this is, was said. Some thought it was because Judas had the money box that Jesus had said, buy those things we need all for the feast. Uh, or that he should give something to the poor. And having, having look at this, having received the bread, having really taken that bread and the outward hypocrisy, he's holding on to his play acting, even though he knows the Lord knows. Uh, and yet he is so determined to grasp those 30 pieces of silver that he's going out immediately. And there's that solemn ending, the destiny of the traitor. And it was night. He has refused the light. He has turned to the darkness and he goes out. There's a little picture I put in the corner. It's very small in the corner of, of the page. And it really shows Judas, as it were, as he opens the door and everything is dark and black and bleak as he moves out into the night. And sadly for him, it was a night without a morning um, in the metaphoric sense. So that's the darkness of betrayal and hate. Um, we'll move over uh, for a few minutes to the, the, the other side of this beautiful picture that comes out, the light of glory and love. Verse 31, when he'd gone out, Jesus said, the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Now, the Lord is looking past the cross. He's now speaking as though the cross is a done deal. He is the Son of God. We've spoken about this. Mark and I had a good chat about this. Um, um, really the Lord is speaking as though the, the, the cross is already finished I've finished the work that you've given me to do and so on and, 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 and he'll, he's really emphasising his divine assurance that the next day is as though it's passed in his programme the son of man is glorified how was the son of man glorified? well the first man was disobedient to God at a tree the second man is obedient to God at a tree he gl is glorified in his obedience to God's will and God is glorified in him in other words he is doing it so that God the Father is glorified in what he does and he's, if God is glorified in him as he will be the glory of God's righteousness and love seen in the cross um, God will glorify him in himself and straightway immediately glorify him so in other words, God is going to raise him right up into heaven and glorify him in himself and straightway glorify him at the resurrection. So that he, he turned, the Lord turns from the gloom to the glory. Now, verse 33 and, and 34, or 33 to 35, brings out the, this, this love. The Lord says he's going away, verse 33. Where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. One of the questions we asked uh, was, "What is this the new of this new commandment?" I think it's new, in a sense. It's we know the Old Testament was summed up in loving the Lord your God with all your 
heart, mind and strength and your neighbour as yourself. Um, now this new commandment is that you love one another as I have loved you, that you love one another just as I've loved you. So the, the whole character, the example is set before is deeper, it's more meaningful. There's a new, um, it's, there's a new freshness to this love as it were. And now this commandment is that we love one another with this love. Um, it's not a love of emotion. We discussed that. It's the love of the will. It's a desire to, it's the, the determination better than desire, the determination to bless other people, to, to reach out particularly to other believers and, and help them. And in doing so, verse 35, you will know that you're my disciples if you love one uh, sorry, others will know that you're my disciples if you've loved one to another. They'll, they'll reflect back in the love that I showed and they'll say, this is the same love that we see in the, the, the Son. We use the example of the early Christians, the early Christian martyrs, that, that other people exclaimed at their love. They couldn't understand it. Many of them actually became Christians watching these people suffer and, and yet showing such love one to another now finally 36 to 38 um simon peter he really loves the lord he says lord why can't i follow you now um i'll lay down my life for your sake but he's self-confident now we can't display this love um just either by words or, or or just by what we think we can do we might think we will do do anything for the lord but we must be dependent on the Lord. Now Peter was eventually going to lay down his life for the Lord. I think Derek brought that out. Um, but the fact was, right here and now, he wasn't in that condition. He wasn't depending on his Lord the way he should have been. He was self-confident. We cannot show this love to one another. We cannot show this love to the Lord if we aren't depending on him and we don't have the indwelling power of the Spirit as we see in the next chapter to help us and enable us to do uh, a work for God. So a lesson on hatred. Hate doesn't derail God. A lesson on love. Love is a great witness of God's, um, of the Lord Jesus. It's a great witness to the Lord Jesus that you belong to him. If you show this genuine agape, otherworldly love to every other believer. I know that was a bit rushed at the end, but trying to keep roughly to my time schedule. I want to just finish by um, quoting uh, the poem that we quoted at the end. Uh, I think it was, it was Julia that, that read this poem to us, uh, and I just want to read it to you now. 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver for the Lord of life they gave. Thirty pieces of silver, only the price of a slave. But this was the priestly value of the Holy One of God, and they weighed it out in the temple, the price of the Saviour's blood. Thirty pieces of silver laid in Iscariot's hand. Thirty pieces of silver and the aid of an armed band, like a lamb that is laid to the slaughter, brought the humble Son of God at midnight from the garden where he, his sweat had been like blood. Thirty pieces of silver burned on the traitor's brain. Thirty pieces of silver. Oh, it is hellish gain. I have sinned and betrayed to guiltless. He cried with a fevered breath, and he threw them down in the temple and rushed to a madman's death. Thirty pieces of silver lay in the house of God. 
thirty pieces of silver, but oh, twas the price of blood, and so for a place to bury the strangers in they gave, the price of their own Messiah who lay in a borrowed grave. It may not be for silver, it may not be for gold, but still by tens of thousands the prince of life is sold, sold for a godless friendship, sold for a selfish aim, sold for a fleeting trifle, sold for an empty name, sold in the mart of science, sold in the seat of power, sold at the shrine of fortune, sold in pleasure's bower. Soul were the awful bargain, none but God's eye can see. Ponder my soul the question, shall, shall he be sold by thee? Sold, O oh God, what a moment, stifled his conscience voice. Sold, and a weeping angel records the fatal choice. Sold, but the price accepted to a living coal shall turn, with the pangs of a late repentance deep in the soul to burn. William Blaine, Blaze of Life and Hope. God bless you.